Here we go. been as far as i know in about 1990 2000 ish matt matsuoka disappeared and he's evidently coming back into the world now in a dramatic and exciting possibly musical way and i know how much this excites you i didn't know if you had heard uh that that hit record yeah. Illinois, that, that last that last record that yep. matt did and they put that out and they toured spain they toured Europe, but I think it was just Spain. I'm not 100. percent I'll have to ask Matt <laughs> next time I'm here. But um, and then that was basically it. Matt closed up shop on music, and the record came out in Spain. Yeah, or on from Sidonia Spain. Record. It was the same dudes that put out the CD versions or the DVD versions of our movies. Oh. So they did all that. You know, both of Matt's movies have professional voice actors doing those films in Spanish. You know, in Europe. The last couple of weeks, people were asking me still to this day about Edge of Coral and if Seattle was once like that. Like, you've created this, like, fictionalized reality that people take as literal, and it still blows my mind. Yeah, but see, here's the here's the thing, okay? We're 15 years away from the movie. So, yeah, it was like that. Yeah, I would oh, have, of course uh, it was. Up until this point, I would have said no. Yeah, but like, now, at this, now at this point, yeah, it was, man. Like Those are hard times. <laughs> I mean... You and your crew would have never made it through the days we hung out in 1992. I don't know why people still bring it up, but... Because it's great, and because it's got people they recognize in it, and because it's fun, and because it's silly and terrible and amazing all at the same time. Well, there's going to be... Hopefully there will soon be, from both myself and from Matt Matsuoka, if I have any say in it, there's going to be more stuff that people can I'm get sure. from us in I'm terms sure of... I'm sure there will be. I don't know about movies... 
I'm sure there will be. And um, but, yeah, I say that wearily, but uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I've tried to get you involved in the, because Nobody's Knows, which is the parent site for this, yep. is also a comedy troupe that doesn't exist in reality. It exists in my brain. Yeah. And you're a member. Oh, excellent. Well, that's good. Well, and you you have at various times agreed. To be a member. Yeah. Okay, good. But we've never done anything. Okay, great. But we definitely, there's, I've got some stuff lined up. Perfect. It's, I was, I think, I probably think about it every other day. Okay. But that's not enough for me to actually get something done. Okay. I need, I actually need even more. The, the, the crazies shout for my attention and I can only attend to so many of them. At so time. when you say the crazies, you mean on Facebook arguing with you, those crazies? No, in my brain. The crazies in your brain. I, right now, I'm just referencing what I hear inside me. Right. <laughs> um, hey, if you're just coming into this, uh, I, let me explain what we're doing here. I uh, have a whole bunch of people lined up to do episodes of I've Known You Too Long, and I could not get any done this week. I had a couple lined up, and they're, they're going to get done, but not fast enough for me to get an episode up this Friday. And I didn't want to go that long without putting something up. So what I've decided to do is kind of do a, a little check-in on a guest we've had on before. And since Greg was around, I thought who better than to go back to the guy who was here for the very first episode and check in with him and see what's going on. So Greg is back in the room. Yes. Greg Benick, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm a, just getting over being a little under the weather. Um, trial toured Europe for three and a half weeks or three weeks. And we were all in a van with really no windows that opened and no air circulating. So we just kind of passed around this horrific cold-like flu-like disease. So I'm just getting over that, which is why I sound uh, hoarse and awesome right now. You probably sound, I, you do sound like a guy who may have been screaming for. Yeah. You know, actually, oddly enough, my voice, it's so strange. Like, you know, I used to have so much trouble with my voice in the nineties. Like I couldn't, and we canceled tours. I couldn't sing. My voice is so like healthy now after we play shows, like every once in a while, there's a rough night where I don't talk until the next day and I just take care of it. But by and large, I finally figured out where to position my voice and how to sing so that at the end of the tour, I don't sound like I'm destroyed. I mean, and all that you, you're hearing right now is, is me being sick. When you went, you went in and did something about that you were having problems with your voice did you get do voice lessons yeah i did with an opera coach yeah with an opera coach in the in the in the late 90s right before we recorded are these our lives can we say greg bennick is a classically trained opera singer i often do yeah that would be perfect if you did so it's you and dio yeah it's well uh, it's you it's me because dio's dio's gone he, he relinquished his crown to me no that's ridiculous uh dio is like one of the most talented singers of all time and i am a uh and then there's you yeah and then, and then there's me that's fair. I didn't say you guys were existing on a level plane. I just said there was the two of you who were classically trained, classically <laughs> trained. Now you've also given advice to people, other singers. I've heard, I've heard other people say that you gave them yeah, good advice on singing. There's, there's an article that I wrote uh, for a European fanzine about how to breathe steam and how breathing steam helps your vocal cords feel soothed and uh, be more reactive and do the things you want them to do. So that article has been seen by a lot of people and it circulated around quite a bit, both in print and now, of course, on the web, you know, for the last decade or so. So people are often referencing that and, and referencing it to me, which is shocking because I wrote it kind of as a, hey, this works for me. And then included these silly pictures and you know, made it a joke. I mean, if people go to wordsasweapons.com, click mm -hmm. on the trial link, which is on the right hand side, I think it's the first or second 
article on that trial page. Maybe the first one is the lyrics and the second is that article or vice versa. But people bring it up constantly all over and they write me about it and ask me where they can find it because evidently it helped them. I mean, I meant just to make it funny and silly and describe why it is that I breathe steam every night when we play. Where do you get steam? Do you have like a bag of steam? Yeah, I bring a bag of steam with me. Um, I was getting it for a while at Costco because you can get 10... You know, for just a That's, lower price, 10 steams. And you support Costco's business model? Yeah. Well, just in terms of steam. You know, I wouldn't buy anything else there other than steam. You get it like a, a vat of steam. I, I, I just, I get the 10 pack. It's cheapest. Um, you know, I, I carry around a, a water cooker. So this is the point where we're, you're being serious. I really am. You have a water cooker. A water cooker, um, which I learned on this tour in German is Wasserkoker. Wasserkoker. Which means water cooker. And I plug that in and put water in it and it creates steam. Wouldn't it be funny if they had just told you to say something foul and they just told you it was that because it sounded like water cooker? I can't imagine that the Germans doing that though. I mean, I, it makes perfect sense that a water cooker would be called Wasserkoker because that's what it's called. But, you know, Germans, the German language is pretty literal. You know, I think it's pretty literal, but I, I can't imagine that they would tell me something vile or something insane. It strikes me that that you might have a be... lot of, you're trusting Germans. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to things that are literal, like I want to purchase a thing that boils water and they go, oh yes, Wasserkoker, of course, you know, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. Okay. I just, if they say the oh yes and the of course in English, why don't you say the whole thing in English? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you know, I'm just glad that I was able to find one of these things in Europe because we started to play the first couple of days and mine burned out the one that I brought from the States. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, able to breathe steam on tour is important and, uh, directions are online. I once saw a, um, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. For letting people know about that. Um, I once saw a, at a restaurant, there was a new girl who they were hazing essentially and uh, the girl who was training her sent her next door to get a bag of steam. A bag of steam. Yeah. Wow. Go. Uh, we are out of steam. I need you to go next to the restaurant next door. They know us. They they share. We swap all the time. Just get, tell them you need a bag of steam. Wow. And, and she, she went out the door. And she went out the door. Yeah. What did she return with? She gave a funny look on her face. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Which should have gone to Costco. Exactly. Um, so you, okay, so you spent, you went on tour with Trial, and it wasn't just Trial. It was Trial and, and By the Grace of God. And By the Grace of God. Uh -huh. And had they been, had they reformed prior to that? Oh, yeah, they, they toured Europe it. like two years ago. Oh, they've been doing it yeah. for a while. Yeah. Cool. And you guys went, we were just having a conversation in the other room with Michael Ann a little bit ago. She said that she is surprised she hasn't run into you in Europe because she's there all the time. Right. But she's always, she always stays in the Western kind of United Statesy part of Europe and you tend to go East into real Europe. I love the East. I love it. I love it. I love so it. So what kind of place are you talking about? Well, I mean, on this tour, we played in uh, Hungary and in Poland, but we also played Bulgaria and Romania. We played in Serbia for the first time ever. Last tour, we played Macedonia. We also played in Ukraine and in Russia last time. Last time. Last time. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, as, as you and I have talked about before, I, you know, I did the spoken word tour of, uh, of Russia and, and Ukraine, which was tremendous, just unbelievable. You know, the further east you get, things just, they just change in such an incredible way. And what's fascinating, and I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but there's this, this um, prejudice almost of people in the west of Europe for people east of them. So if you're in the West of Europe, people say, well, you know, the, you know, the people in Poland, they're, they're, they're backwards. They don't really speak English and on and on and on. You get to Poland and they're like, what are you talking about? Everything's fine here. But, you know, if you head east and you end up in Belarus, those people are still, you know, you know, 
you know, lighting their houses at night by, you know, candles and paraffin wax. And, you know, then the further east you go, people are like, what are you talking about? But let me tell you, the people in Russia, oh, my God, get out to Siberia and these people don't have language. They're, you know, writing in cuneiform and, you know, hammering stuff into stone. And then you get out to the east of Europe and everybody's driving cars and they're like, there's no one east. Like, we have completed east. Anything east is a fish, right? Swimming. And then there's Seattle. And we've heard that people are relatively, um, you know, lucid in Seattle. So... (laughs) Um, it's just weird. There's this Easterly prejudice that you encounter. Interesting. And for me, I've just always loved Eastern Europe. Loved it, loved it. Kids are super responsive there and it's been And amazing. you can go there and do a spoken word tour in English. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Well, you mean in, in Russia and Ukraine? Well, you speak, in, you just speak English, right? Right. But I had a translator with me. I had two people with me across Russia. I had a translator and a, a tour manager of sorts. Wait, wait. So when... When you're speaking on stage, you're pausing and they're saying to the crowd what you said? One sentence at a time. Oh my God. Yeah. One sentence at a time. So, so they can see your passion. I know how it is when you speak, although right. it must be hard to kind of keep up a head of steam when you, you know. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, keep in mind that it changes the performative cadence of what you're saying and you have to shift that intensity, right? Because if, if we're in the States or we're somewhere where I'm speaking English, then the, the intensity just is what it is it either exists or it doesn't maybe there's some night where it's just you know mellow style but in in russia for example or in ukraine when i'm completely shifting the you know the 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 way that words are delivered meaning the language you have to just allow for the translator which means that you can't just like be intense and then just pause and freeze like a you know like a wax dummy and then wait for the translator you work with the translator and a new intensity is created a new dynamic is created but it would be kind of cool if you did just freeze and like completely like i think for the whole show if i just and then only moved when you were talking and then when then you froze and then the trans it'd be kind of like a like a dance a dance routine yeah but it was fun. I mean, having the translator. I am going to mess with you a little bit. That's okay. This whole thing. That's fine. <laughs> but having the translator, I mean, here's the thing: is that why wouldn't that why wouldn't that work? I mean, it wouldn't work because it would be dumb. But I mean, what really happened was not far off from that, right? So I would come out and I'd say, "Hi, I'm Greg Benick," and Pasha was my translator, and Pasha would say, "Hello, I am Greg Benick," in Russian, and then I would mess with him. Almost every night, you know, because he was really awkward having himself on the spot. I would say, my name is Pasha and I am the translator. And then Pasha would say in Russian, my name is Pasha, I am the translator. And then I would say, I feel very awkward being here sometimes as the translator. And then Pasha would have to say that. Now, of course, the audience is laughing because they're only hearing that in Russian. But it was things like that every night. We would mix it up and change it. And we developed this amazing synergy between the two of us. So it was almost like this performative event in a way yeah it was cool i'm gonna do it again next year i'll go back to russia next year so it'll be fun and uh anything sketchy happen while you were there that you can talk about yeah absolutely um i spoke in ekaterinburg at uh college i showed flight from death and flight from death is your documentary documentary involved in making making about human fear of death on a subconscious level and how that influences human violence and human violent behavior it's a fantastic movie and you don't have to just take my word for it you can go and see all the awards it won and or the all the uh the different accolades it has received gabriel Byrne did the uh yeah 
did the the um the narration the voiceover, narration yep. for it so we show flight from death into Katharineburg, and then i spoke after that and what i spoke about on that tour specifically was the ways that there are similarities between the united states and russia in terms of how it deals with activists and the oppression with which it deals with activists and i used it as an, as an example the shack seven in the united states animal rights activists and in russia uh, the activists in, in pussy riot and just compared the two how similar they were in order to demonstrate to the audience that although Russia and the United States seem like literally different planets, we are all part of this forward, that's the wrong word to use, progression towards oppression almost of activists in exactly similar ways. So I got done speaking and showing the movie and I said, uh, any questions? A guy in the front row raises his hand and he says, uh, uh, there is information that you are an activist. I said, yeah, that's that's true, more or less, depending on how we define activists. Yeah. And, you know, that was translated. Any other questions? We got a room full of like, you know, 50, 60 people. He raises his hand again. There is information that you are vegan. And I said, uh, yeah, actually, um, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I, for moral and health reasons, yes, I've been vegan for about 24 years and will continue to be. That gets translated. Any other questions? No one raised their hand. He raises his hand. <laughs> there is information that you are straight edge. And I was like, true, you know, and again, I gave, you know, a succinct answer. Any other questions? Him again, there is information that you support direct action. And I was like, okay. And then again, after that, there was information that you are an anarchist. And at that point I said, comrade. Okay. (laughs) And the audience started laughing. I said, "Um, comrade, I do feel that individuals have the right to create their own lives and create their own destiny free from the the fetters and restrictions of gods and masters. And uh, if by and large that makes me an anarchist, then yes, I stand before you as exactly that. Um, Any other questions? And he stood down, you know, but no one else asked any questions (laughs) for quite a while. And, uh, you know, it was pretty creepy, you know, uh, having been, you know, presented with uh, there is information that rather than I have a question, are you a vegan? Uh, So it was awkward. And afterwards, he and his friends were very close knit standing away from the group of us outside as people were milling around and then they just spirited off into the night. And I turned to my friends and I was like, okay, so will we be sent to the same gulag or <laughs> different ones? Uh, you know, how's this going to work out for us? It was a little awkward and we were looking over our shoulders a little bit, but that might've been just our own, you know, prejudice and fear and wackiness. Cause nothing ever happened. It reminds me of, um, have you seen the movie, the lives of others? Uh, yes, I have. It's absolutely fantastic film. And I always, for a long time, I was finding it in these cheap, movie bins you know and i'd grab the dvd and if it was less than five bucks i'd buy it just so i could like give it to somebody because sure. it's such a cool movie yeah. and people haven't you know haven't people haven't watched it because it's a foreign language film but that the whole stasi i'm not even sure if i'm saying it right yeah they're crazy looking over everybody's shoulders thing. in the very beginning of the movie there's a classroom of students and you remember there's a student that's asking questions and you just see the instructor circle his desk on a piece of paper that's what it felt like it felt like that it felt like that right because the thing is you know let's be realistic that you know life in america is sure it feels free and everything like that and it's easy for me to say that because i'm you know a white guy walking around and the experience of feeling free and feeling uh you know unoppressed at times would be very different based on race based on gender based on appearance and whatnot so um by and large i have privilege right and that makes my life somewhat easy okay so let's recognize that in russia things are sketchy 
things are a little sketchy and sketchier at times. And Ukraine too, depending on what part of Ukraine you're in, you know, I think it's it's safe to say that there are some parts of the world that are um, for everyone involved. Um, scrutinized life is scrutinized and life is, is particularly intense so it was it was wild to be in russia that said russia is not a horrifically dangerous place it definitely is a place where some really sketchy governmental things happen but i just think i've thought at times that you know sketchy governmental things that happen in russia just happen more overtly i mean there are sketchy governmental things that happen here all the time we just don't see oh, sure. them as readily and hunter thompson uh said I can't remember where it was that he said this, but um, I always kind of enjoyed it. He was talking about with Russia falling apart and moving to capitalism, that you'd see this raw, wide open capitalism that would be organized crime and that there would be many years of that as that would form the basis of the Russian economy. And we just had that so long ago here government in bed with crime and all right. you know you watch an old movie like gangs of new york or something and it's all you know that's it so his his take was he didn't reference that film but that you know he called it raw wide open capitalism that's, i think was the quote and, and so i imagine <clears throat> russia could be dangerous if you cross the wrong people absolutely because that's kind of what happened i mean there was a lot of cronyism that went on and you know major industries oil and you know the, the the industries that are more lucrative were kind of taken over by small groups of very powerful people with very well connected friends who made sure that their you know extreme profits were protected so yeah and it's... then they had to send someone to your show just to make sure <laughs> you weren't going to come try to muscle in <laughs> take, on their action. take their profits right exactly we're on to you, Benick. <laughs> That's what it felt like spoken that night. Spoken word tour. Yeah, spoken word In a tour. a different language. Exactly. What's he really saying? <laughs> All right. So you got back. I read, I read the thing that you put up on Facebook about the experience of how, you know, I thought it was cool that you put it all into perspective that, that life isn't bad, but the tour was very hard. Yeah. Tour is challenging. But I mean, it's like, let's be realistic. Like I said, you know, you ask... You know, you say say to somebody in Haiti, yeah, I was, you know, I had to drink this warm water today. I was sweating um, and I was being driven to a room to play a, a show with my friends in, in a car with no air conditioning. And the people without houses would say, what's a room? And the people with, you know, with houses would say, what do you mean someone drove you? Like what, in a car? And, you know, and, and we sweat all day, every day. And we don't, what are you talking about sweating? Like, we, you know, we, we need clean water, you know, yes. like, we, you know, so... Yours was slightly warm. Cry me a river. Everybody's experience is y unique to them. Now, right? all of this said, tour was challenging. And there was a lot of days where, I mean, there was one point where I had sweat nonstop for five days. And I said out loud to somebody in some context, if I'm sweating in 30 more minutes, I'm going to hang myself from the side of the venue. So, I mean, whether or not that was extreme or the, the words of a crazy person, I felt like that. And we all did at times. So it was challenging, but it's like in retrospect, it's like, okay, we made it through, you know, it's like, of course we made it through. You know, I think, I think we have to give ourselves permission to have our own bad time. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I'll I'll go with that. I'd I'd love it if everyone can get on board with that. You mean just have to have a bad time? Everybody, like, here's the thing: like, whoever you are, whatever your experience is, your experience is unique to you. Okay. So you may look like a crybaby, like a goddamn crybaby, to someone who's really got it shitty, but it's your experience. Like you can go far, way too far with it, but blowing off steam is important. It's important to be able to say, ah, this sucks for me. 
Yeah. I, I it is also, that. I think, great to be able to do it. You didn't go, it's so much better than what other people have, and then let that inform your experience. But we're, I feel like um, we're going to get to the point where we're spending more time with the caveat ahead of time than the actual information that we're trying to get across. Right. Which was in this example, like the tour was challenging rather than, you know, making excuses for it in advance and then saying the tour was challenging. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. And it's not, it, look, it's not a big concern of mine. I just notice it more. Yeah. I mean, I think that comes with just the way that culture has shifted and us being, uh, trying to be aware of other people and, you know, maybe more marginalized people or maybe more oppressed people or different types of people so that we're aware of them. So we, you know, we state that we are aware, you know, I've already done that at least once, if not twice so far in the time we've been talking, right. You know, I said, let's acknowledge the fact that I am, you know, privileged the fact you blah, blah, blah. So, um, you're sitting in a chair. Some people would have to stand. Some people don't have rooms, right? People, so, people in Haiti. We're, we're in a room. Yeah, people in Haiti. Like, what do you mean podcast? Like, but okay, so let's talk about people in Haiti because I know you're doing some big projects over there. Yeah, 100 for Haiti is is about to do major stuff. And, you know, it's it's I, I got fingers crossed, right? Because it all depends on it all depends on people's involvement and support. Um, there's a big benefit this weekend that'll probably, by the time this airs, be past but uh, uh the 29th of august there's a benefit my girlfriend megan put on a benefit in salt lake city called mellow versus metal that she came up with uh, the whole thing it basically 6 to 8 p.m uh jeremy chatelaine from chester brazil helmet handsome uh insight brainstorm and other bands um iceburn uh will be doing an acoustic set and uh, i'll be doing a spoken word set and then also she got together some really talented tattoo and other artists in the salt lake area to draw original haiti inspired artwork and anyone can bring anything they want to have silk screened with this artwork on it at the event for like five dollars per item oh wow which is cool and then that's the mellow part of the evening mellow versus metal at eight o'clock there is uh three metal bands playing so it's it's a cool event there's something for everybody kind of thing Events like that happening and support from people will allow us to do what I'm calling the Rural Water Project, which is this water project that's going to help um, keep people from dying of cholera in central Haiti. And then also a major anti-sexual assault initiative because there's been a lot of child rapes in the south of Haiti this last year. So 100 for Haiti is funding an, an entire educational outreach program where people are going to be going into rural communities, teaching people about you know, sexual practices and about proper behavior and about why rape is a bad idea and the repercussions of it socially. So we're paying for those, you know, the social workers and, and learning materials and teaching materials and, you know, just to get people out in these rural communities. And these are, these are social workers and from Haiti. Yes. Well, social workers, Haitians, they're Haitians who are social workers and also government officials. And, you know, we're trying to work with local officials and educators as well. So, and we, I've, I've put some information up. At so month. it's not, it's, it's not like you're, you're taking a missionary group out to, God, to no. retrain. No, that. and people ask that all the time. Hey, can I go to Haiti with you? It's like, explain to me why financially that makes sense. So let's say you spend $1,000 on your plane ticket to get to Haiti in country in Haiti. Your expenses are say 300 to $400. So we're up to $1,400. Um, explain to me how it's a good idea to fly somebody from the United States to Haiti to spend $1,400 rather than give me $1,400 and I'll build at least two wells in Haiti that will protect two communities from dying of cholera. It just doesn't make sense when there's right. people in Haiti who are like, we're ready to work. We're ready to do stuff. You know, it's just financially, it's just a backwards way of thinking. Um, but I was just going to say that we 
put up information at 104haiti.org and people can read more about the Rural Water Project and the um, uh, Anti-Sexual Assault Initiative there. No, it's very cool. And I think it, it's, you know, when people give money to things, you wonder sometimes how much of your money actually goes. or what You know, and the example you just gave about you don't even take a person with you because that money can go further because you can put it in the hands of the person that can dig the well. Totally. Absolutely. That can, that can put in the, you know, or just for the, 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 the materials themselves, you know, just even just, you know, the guy who I'm working with in Haiti, like really focused on who is the kind of the, um, you know, the, 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 the forefront of this rural water project, for example, like, yeah, you know, put money in this guy's hands. He's like down to the penny specific about what he spends it on, you know? So the idea of being frivolous with money is completely insane. And 100 for Haiti is not working on, you know, some six figure major budget. It's just not, we work off of donations of people and from people who think, yeah, this amount of money could never make a difference. No, that's exactly who we're, we're surviving off of and doing all this work from, you know? So uh, I'm going to do a Kickstarter. No, not a Kickstarter. Go fund me mm-hmm. for the rural water project. And, uh, I'll hope to have that up online in the next month or month or so. Nice. It's a, it's a, a great project that you've got going on. I really support it. And Thanks, I encourage people to support it. And now I want to know, since we we're running down on time here, we're not going to do a full length episode today. Okay. Um, cause we got, we figured out your whole backstory with all your commander salamander and all that. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, I, 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 I love commander salamander more than ever having brought it up after 30 years. I wish that I had the giant coat with the pins on the back in the shape of the, the spider and all that crap. And then the, like the leopard print pants. And then I had some shoes too, that were like striped and like, Greg, yeah. you can wear leopard print pants. I, I could, I could. You know, maybe I should, maybe I should find some. I wish, you know, there's got to be some back stock of Commander Salamander after they went out of business, which was only a handful of years ago. Like they didn't you sell get everything. anything on eBay these days. They didn't man. sell everything. Right. So there's some, some guy, <laughs> Sal, maybe Mr. Salamander has the boxes of stuff. I Sal. Some, Sal. Sal A. His last name was just Mander. Mander. Yeah. yeah. Mander. Anyway. Salvatore. You, it was his first name. Sal- Salvatore. Salvatore Mander. It, yeah. It's a totally, it just, it just worked out. Yeah. It's you know. perfect. So you were about I to, don't know what army he was in. I don't know either. You were about to make some <laughs> transition to some other topic. No, before I was going to say derailed. like, like, you know, the, the, your episode was, uh, was first up on YouTube. And then before I got a, a smart guy in here to help me figure out how to get stuff into, you know, up onto iTunes and get the website going. So, um, is there anything that's come up from since the episode is aired or is there anything you can think of that we talked about that you wanted to touch on or correct or or nothing nothing to correct we talked about 100 for haiti Mm -hmm. uh which is great we talked about the tour which is great talked about upcoming spoken word opportunities and i want to be doing more spoken word i want to be doing like short pieces i want to be doing pieces that you know maybe appear on records or you know put stuff up on the web or work in conjunction with bands just a, a whole bunch of different ideas well that so you won a, a comedic a, a, speech competition. Yeah, it was, it was a, like a, to, a Toastmasters International. Like uh, they run this speech contest, and and uh, there's a number of them around the world. Um, yeah, so I, I won. I, I won one of these contests, and it was it was great. It was like, very good. That's up online. Yeah, isn't it's it? up People online. Can too. Check it out. Yeah, if they Googled like uh, Toastmasters Greg Benick humorous speech, even that, I think that's the only one that, you know that'll come up with my name. You right. got good laughs in that. Yeah, I did. And I, you all you get up in front of people all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about doing stand-up comedy? Often. And yeah, you, often. Because here's what I'm thinking. Oh, God. Yes. 
This is where it goes. Yeah. This is where I get roped into this nobody's nose, ridiculous brainstorm that you're having with 14 people in your head right now. It's good. No, what I'm saying is that, is that you, uh, you're all about communicating with people, uh-huh. reaching a lot of people. Yeah. And you're very funny. I've seen it. I've known it for years. Right. I think, I think there are people out there, though, that maybe don't know you personally who think that you're very serious. All the time. I get that all the time. Because you're issue-oriented, and some of your issues are very heavy death very heavy pain cholera. stuff i can't even c- consider spending as much time Torture. near yep. that you do and i Gen- i genocide. appreciate you so much <laughs> you're laughing after no. you say the word genocide <laughs> yeah, which the is the only way i could deal with it that's that is exactly right that's where comedy comes in the the role of comedy is to allow us to reflect on reality in a new way in a way that allows us to accept information and in in you know, in process information without getting overwhelmed by it. You know, it gives us an opportunity to see the world in a different way. So when I say genocide and I start laughing, it's not because genocide's funny, but like, for example, the thought that went through my mind, I'm bringing a group of high school students with my friend Dave and a counterpart of his to Rwanda and Uganda next spring for three weeks as part of the legacy project, as Mm -hmm. we call it. So we're going to be exploring the, the roots of the Rwandan genocide and also explore what you know, what went on in, in Uganda and where the countries are now. And the very idea of even trying to understand genocide is ludicrous, right? It's just so intense or how to manage it after it happens. So, you know, you have to have one foot in the door of like looking at yourself, you know, with kind of one eye open, one eye closed, like, really, are you really going to try to understand something that's massive and not be overwhelmed by it? And that's the cousin of laughing at it already. So anyway, I just, I, I imagine a time when you could actually be a a booked stand-up comedian. I would love it. But you it's not it'd be such a wonderful way to put jelly around that pill of your message and feed it to the dog of the American people. You've just given me a new lease on life. That sounds amazing to me. So, you know what I need to do is carve out I need to carve out a the headstone time to make that first. Happen. Yeah, I need to carve out a headstone. <laughs> okay. I carve out be, the time to make yeah, it happen. Exactly. So, uh, you know, other other new things I hear I hear um doing like short skits and comedy bits like with a group of friends and like putting them up on you is a great way to get started in that yeah that's a great idea okay we'll have to do it then (laughs) so i was just gonna say that other other new things that have been going on did we talk about the um ernest becker book last time you might have mentioned it just briefly yeah it's you had a thing going on it's coming into being that it's looking like i'll be writing a biography on ernest becker who flight from death was based on and you know we haven't finished we haven't signed the contract it was based it was based on his philosophy based on based on his writing based on his work you know without trying to champion him because he was he was somebody who was very much against the cult of personality he didn't want to be seen as the guy but um a number of people in you know, a wide variety of walks of life have been asking about an Ernest Becker biography for quite some time of asking of people who are scholars about him and no Becker biography exists. So I was approached to write one because of my, my knowledge of him and my experience working with his ideas. And uh, it's looking like that's going to happen. It's not, you know, it's, it's not official till contracts are signed kind of thing, but it's really, 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 really far along in that process. That's exciting. It's cool. It basically mean that I would have the next two years to read everything I possibly could about uh, psychology, death, dying, the the history of these ideas and the ideas that led to them. And I would have to really restructure my my brain. And, and when I say that, I mean it literally like 
you know, um, I was having a conversation with a friend today about how we interface with the world through our screens and we read, we read, you know, on, on, on screens, which is not quite like reading. It's not the linear imaginative experience that reading is, you know, the internet and our phones provide us all the information that we need. But when we read a book, we have to make that extra jump to create in our imagination what we're reading about and really synthesize the information and really understand it. Whereas, you know, the, the internet, we get about, you know, a couple hundred words in, and if there's not a picture, we click, click off, or if there's not a video or something to click on, it's just this constant motion, constant ideas, like this scattering. It's almost like a scanning so you're, you're of information. You're talking about more, more like uh, reading articles online rather than like reading a book, like through a Kindle. Yeah, that I can't even imagine, right? Like I just can't, I just can't even, you know, imagine, I just can't imagine myself doing my point being that when we've got a book in our hands, something we can't click on or click through, we're having a linear experience that we have to create images from in our mind. We think differently with a book in our hand than we do with a phone in our hand. So if I spend the next two years reading and writing, I'm going to be literally thinking different. It's going to rewire my brain. Cool. So. And you, and you've spent a lot of time with that material already with the film and with your own personal and like interest in the totally, subject. Yeah. Because that came up across Russia too, meaning I was talking about Becker's ideas, you know, because I was showing the film Flight from Death each night and translated into Russian and talking about how, to, you know, how does fear of death influence us? How does it impact us in terms of our violent tendencies or the way that we look at one another? Hey, Russians, how is it that you look at me? How do you see me as an American? Because I can tell you how we see you, right? And all of that is rooted in, in, in my suggestion. I'll, by way of Becker would be it's all rooted in fear of our mortality and and finding something concrete to stand on and we do that often by pushing somebody else down so that's how we look at the Russians or how they look at us it makes us feel better and more permanent psychologically this would be cue laughter part because it's funny to think about death dying and how we can't stand one another I would say you need a list a little more of a of a punch like a little there. more genocide a little more genocide. Just like turn up the genocide just a bit and then you've got the laugh. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I think that's interesting though, the idea that it's not just it's it's not just about like death and genocide, but just the idea of putting a person down to make yourself feel better is like a smaller version of that. Absolutely. So something I am frustrated with currently is there is so much um in the, like you, you brought up Facebook, and I like to get in political arguments on Facebook. And You're I really so do. good at it. You're so good at it. Thank you for saying that. I hear that from some people, not the people I'm arguing with, though. Right. <laughs> um, but I don't. I, I anyway. I seek. I love a someone to really engage with me and to come back at me with with the kind of like thought and process that I put into it. You know, I try to cite precedent, and I try to. You know, I try to look up the stuff I'm talking about, make sure I know what I'm talking about. Like try to like make sure it all makes logical sense. And I get a lot of, but I feel this way. Right. And back. you're in your side. Or I'm responding to people talking about, especially right now with Trump and with this immigrant, like there's so much just anti everything, not American. Right. And right that's now. what I was going to say is that you were citing British common law in your, in, in your post. post. We were talking about earlier. Yeah, exactly. I, well, I, I heard something interesting today on a on a talk radio show, and I could tell that the caller wasn't making their point well because they weren't a good caller. And the show never knows if the caller is going to mess with them or be on their side, and they're comedians on the show. Okay. So a lot of times they'll go right over what the person's saying, but I caught what the person was saying, and they were making this point about the 14th Amendment 
doesn't necessarily matter when it comes to birthright citizenship because judges had been citing British common law in the United States prior to the 14th Amendment. And for you go back decades and there was legal precedent for birthright citizenship, which is the baby's born inside the United States. doesn't matter the nationality of the parents. They're an American citizen, which, by the way, is how we got Bruce Lee. So <laughs> if you don't want to live in a country that wouldn't have Bruce Lee as an American citizen, then it's I don't know what the yeah, hell is wrong with you. Exactly. Yeah, it's time for uh, it's time for rethinking things. I saw Dragon. Absolutely. The Bruce Lee story. Yeah, it's powerful. I've, I've seen Enter the Dragon multiple times. That's different. I don't think in that one he comes to the U.S. with his birth certificate and gets a job. True. But because he has to escape the mob in Hong Kong or whatever it is. I don't really know the story, to be honest. But I know that there's some, that he did. He was born in the United States and did come back as an adult and live here. And it's and the rest is, is Bruce Lee. So your point being that you love arguing with people online where you cite facts, yeah, no, history. Yeah, are, are we coming around to a point on this? I guess Absolutely. We, okay. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So the, I guess the point is this. I, I want... I want, yeah, I just want people to engage and I think it's a good, uh, exchange of ideas and I rarely get what I want out of it because I feel like, you know, the same people like it, which is, makes me happy. You know, it's nice to see that people like what I'm doing, right? but it's, you know, a lot of times the guys that I'm trying to get through to, you, <laughs> it takes, <laughs> it's a, not working. takes a long time or they, <laughs> you know, it's always like, I feel this way or so, you know, tonight I got a comment that was like. Sorry, but I just feel differently. You know, it's like, well, you can't argue with that. But what brings me to making those kinds of comments are seeing all these horrible memes where it's like Obama in a turban talking about how he's helping his brothers in ISIS and all this. And then I and then I point out to the person. Now, this is going to be political and horrible. And I'm sorry for everyone, because this isn't what we generally do on the show. But I point out that in America, there is only one person that's given the order to kill anyone in ISIS. And that's Barack Obama. Right. Our Congress has not voted on it. There's one guy who has authorized strikes. So while Barack Obama, the, all these people on the right want to say he's trying to help, he, he wants ISIS to succeed and he's a secret Muslim, bear in mind that he is also the person who has done the very most to defeat them from America because the Congress won't touch it. The people on the right that control Congress won't touch it. And that stuff drives me crazy because it's like... Yeah, I don't know. People, there's just people, so many levels of there's so many levels of bad there. Right. But then, but it seems like so many people just like to hey, let's put a picture of this guy in a turban. Right. Oh, they let's put a Joker face on him. Oh, let's make him look hypocrisy. like Hitler. And I yeah. kind of feel like it's that, like you said, pushing someone down who's different or pushing someone down to try to make yourself feel better. Oh, and Barack Obama's an easy, easy, easy target. And and that isn't to say that he's not worthy of being, you know, under scrutiny and critique, certainly, right? But, you know, but he's he an is easy not target a, for multiple he's reasons. He's not above any of the scrutiny, and there's no one below him that's above the scrutiny. Right. So it basically just becomes everyone that isn't a Confederate flag-waving redneck idiot, although they wouldn't believe they're idiots, who doesn't believe the Bible is... Uh, I'm a Christian, which means I only believe in the anti-gay stuff in the Old Testament, and I completely ignore anything Christ said about the meek or or being kind or loving your enemy. No, it's my version of Christianity, which is actually old school Judaism. I guess <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's exactly the right way to put it, but if you just if you just go with the 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 bad stuff in Leviticus, I think you're missing the point a little bit. So anyway, yeah, this is the stuff that I... Thank you. You got me doing this crap on my podcast, Greg. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> God, I loved watching that happen just now. I was watching that happen thinking like, 
gosh, he's he's so good at this. He needs to be like who's the guy that you, that you used to listen to all the time, the UFO guy years ago, um, like a radio um, Bell. Oh, uh, Art Bell. Art Bell. Yeah, exactly. You know, you need to be you need to be like that. You need to be. But that's the, cons- that's that's conspiracy. But stuff. I, but that's my point. You need to be on from one to four a.m. You need to I, be spouting crazy stuff. But every once in a while, people go, "Wait a minute, he's actually making sense." I sent myself an email today that my conspiracy podcast will be called. I don't want to not believe. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I got to work on the title a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to make it kind of confusing. Like you don't really know what the point of view of the person has, but right. like I'd, I have some crazy friends who believe some wacky stuff. So that'll be your it, conspiracy podcast. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to do one. There is information <laughs> that I've known you too long. I don't want to not believe. <laughs> awesome. Dave Larson, everyone. All right. So um, I think that concludes the uh, the catching up. Great. Unless there's anything else you'd like to talk about before, you know, another 20 or so episodes when I get you to come back in here again and hang yeah. out at my house and would, listen to I would love music. to do that again. Um, yeah. What know, do we listen to tonight? We listen to I, the hit? I, we listen to the hit, but we also listen to the Beach Slang to band. Beach Slang. Which yeah. is a, I'm, a band They're I'm awesome. pretty excited about right now. They're awesome. So they get a they get a plug. Yeah, the they get a plug. They're coming in November. I'm excited I, I can't to wait. We're, and yeah, I can't wait to see them. I mean, even just with the little bit that you played for me, sounded so much like, like just like a modern iteration of everything we were listening to in the '90s, but in a way that was just just done in a way that just sounded great. I don't even know how to describe it. Like we were talking about comparisons to Sam I Am and comparisons to all these other bands. It just, yeah. Beach slang. I'm going to listen to the whole EP or LP, as it were. I don't even know what it is when I get I, don't, I, don't, I I like the lyrics. I like the lyrics the way I like reading Hunter Thompson. Okay. Because there's a little bit of, I think there's some drug references in there. Okay. I can deal with that. Sure. Not really my cup of tea. Yeah, me either. But, you know, it's, it's it'll be weird singing along to something or singing about taking ecstasy or something, but whatever. Yeah. And maybe totally. I'm reading into it wrong. Maybe that's not what he's saying. Just just say the X and then just leave out the, you know, the other part. <laughs> it's pretty killer, though. I'm really excited about I'm it. I'm excited for it, too. All right. So, final thoughts, my friend. Final thoughts. Uh... Take risks and be awesome in your personal and emotional life because it leads to greatness in your heart. I don't even want to say anything. That's awesome. Okay, we're done.
Hey, so, okay, like I said, different kind of episode this time. As I go through this list of people that I'm going to interview for this show, some of the people are in more outlying locations, and uh, some people have schedules that don't always line up exactly with mine, so it won't always be easy to get these interviews done with a really good release schedule where I can get them out fast enough. But I like the idea of revisiting some of the people that have been on the show from time to time and find out what's gone on in their life since. Maybe hit some points we, we didn't hit the first time. Anyway, I thought it was fun. I thought it went well. We started and ended with musical tracks from the hit since we were talking about Matt Motswoka at the beginning. And hopefully Matt Motswoka is going to be playing a greater role here in the uh, podcast network. The first one, we came in with the song Rachel Lee Cook, and we came out, we ended with the song 1031, both off of the hits full length called Shermer, Illinois, which was released on Sidonia Records out of Spain way back in 2003. That's uh, that's right. Some of the best work Matt did, and it just kind of quietly went under, it felt like, right at the end there. So um, you can still get this CD. I don't think Cydonia is still in business, but from last time I checked, you could still get this CD at B-Core out of uh, Spain. It's a distribution over there. Just Google it. It's B-Core, C-O-R-E. It's worth having. It's great. Um, We talked about Beach Slang, which I had just discovered. They've been around for a little while, uh, but um, I've been very excited about them. I'm really, they're yeah, they're really good. Just go check them out. They've got a band camp page up. They've got a new LP coming out. Yeah, it's just exciting. It's just cool to hear some good new music that sounds like good old music. Um, as usual, I want to say that this episode was uh, brought to you by Black Crown Car. And uh, and also, we'll just throw in Infinity Sauces while we're at it, because I always like to jump back and give the John a nod. So I think that you should go check out blackcrowncar.com if you're in the Seattle area. In the Northwest, you need a ride. Um, if you like hot sauce, you like good stuff on your food, you go to infinitysauces.com and you order up some of that because it's all fantastic. And I, I have this vision of you just riding around the back of one of Soto's cars, just chugging a bottle of you know John's hot sauce. That's uh, that's what I'm hoping this inspires. So, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this. Uh, we're gonna keep doing this show, and we're gonna be adding new shows to the network. I keep saying that they're coming. Uh, the frequency of release of episodes of I've Known You Too Long may decrease, but I'm going to make sure that decrease doesn't happen until there's an increase in other shows and other things you can come to the site and check out. And while saying that, please do these things for me. If you enjoy listening to this show, please go to iTunes, give us that five-star rating, and you don't have to leave a review. You don't have to write anything. It's really cool if you do, um, but but go on there. Go to the, you know, the iTunes site, open up iTunes, get in there, leave us up five stars. It just, it makes a difference. It, it helps people find the show. And if you go to the bottom of our page on iTunes and you check out like people who listen to this show also listen to, there's other fantastic podcasts down there. Like we're in really good company and that's exciting to me. Um, and I'd like to keep that going. I'd like more people to discover this because the, the, the number of listens that I'm getting are, are going up each week and that's a good feeling. And it's it's also a good feeling to know that people, you know, will listen to this, even though it's stories about, you know, people maybe they don't know. But that's super helpful. The other things that you can do that are would really be awesome would be to go like the Facebook page. It's Facebook slash Nosy Nobody. Just type Nobody's Nose into Facebook. And unfortunately, you're going to get a number of hits, but you'll see that the main picture for it is the my little sort of 
angled upside down question mark looks something like a nose and uh then there's a the background picture is matt Matoka chopping on his guitar with a cleaver because that's normal um like it let's get some more likes going on that i'm i list all the episodes on there but i periodically put pictures on there that i'm not putting up anywhere else that are related to the episodes maybe some embarrassing pictures out of the past of the people that i'm talking about so it's fun you know what's it gonna hurt you know, I don't, it's not a spam thing. You're not going to, your feed is not going to get full of all kinds of garbage for me. Just every once in a while, a little bit of nobody's nose news. Also, Twitter, at Nosy Nobody. If you have Twitter, follow us. Once again, it's not going to be all day long spamming a bunch of stuff, but it's nice, you know. It's nice to see, to get new people on there and to be able to get the word out that way. Uh, I don't do Instagram yet. People keep telling me I'm supposed to. Or, or the others. I'm, I'll bet that the kids are into like six new things that I don't even know about yet. Whatever, I'll, I'll figure it out. Let me see. Other than that, you know, there are so many irons in the fire right now. So many potential things that are going to be happening that are exciting in the near future. But most of them are just too far out to really give you any lowdown on it. So there'll be more coming. Thank you for coming this far with me so far. Please keep listening. I'd like to hear any feedback, good or bad. In fact, you can always send an email to nobodiesknowsdl at gmail.com. That's nobodiesknowsdl. The initials stand for Doug Lawless, not Dave Larson. Doug Lawless, nobodiesknowsdl at gmail.com. Doug reads through all of those. He's an ornery bastard. He might reply. So yeah, if you have any questions he'll he'll get back to you um maybe on the air all right until next time your and my friendship has developed in much the same way meaning I had extensive plans to kill you, <laughs> told hundreds, dozens at the very least, if not hundreds of people, the methods and means and ways I planned to kill you, and yet we're friends. Yeah, I, I've seen some of the artwork you've sent through the mail to yeah. people um, depicting the various ways you intend to murder me. Absolutely. And I never really quite understood that. You're, and here's the thing, you're not the only one. That's good to Definitely, know. Definitely, the answer wrote a song called Murder Dave Larson. Okay, now I feel great. I feel fantastic. Because I've always felt a little... I've always felt a little bad that I singled you out. Because you're probably least deserving of being killed. Which all of a sudden just made you such a good target for it. Yeah. But knowing that there are other people who agree kind of justifies me. and makes me want to go back to that again. Uh, back, least, back to plotting my, my demise. Yeah, and, and sketching it out and sending it around the world. And have people wonder whether or not it's for real. It, it makes it kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I'm cool with that. Whatever. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive producers David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris.